And that brings us to Lord's Day 5, beginning with question and answer 12. Let's read responsibly. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment, both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Question 13. Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Question 14. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. Question 15. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is also true God. Amen. That is the word of the Lord summarized given to us in doctrinal form. Let us go to the Lord and ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Almighty and everlasting God, our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners, conceived and born in sin, unable of ourselves to do any good. But we do repent of our sins and we seek your grace to help us in our remaining weaknesses. Through the teaching of your word, which we confess with the church throughout the ages, satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst with your refreshing truth, that we with all our hearts may love and serve you with our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Last week, we looked together at the doctrine of eternal punishment. And we discovered that that punishment, which again is of an eternal nature, is the righteous consequence for our sins against God. Not only because the souls of the wicked continue to blaspheme and rebel against God for all eternity, but also because the dignity of the one that we have sinned against is infinite. And so an infinite and an eternal punishment is the righteous consequence for such sins. Today we're looking at Lord's Day 5 of the Catechism. And here it begins to talk about this problem of punishment in financial terms. Our sins and guilt are spoken of as a debt... And the punishment for those sins is spoken of in terms of a payment. Question and answer 12 says, The claims of God's justice must be paid in full. And question 13 asks, Can we make this payment ourselves? The answer is, certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Tonight, we're going to see that the human race has always had the impulse to pay God back. The human race has always had the impulse 
to pay God back. We all know instinctively that there is a debt that must be paid, and we have all been trying to pay that debt back. Secondly, we're going to learn that God has put in place temporary solutions to paying back this debt, but that, third, Christ is the true solution to paying back our debt to God. So we increase our debt every day. The the claims of God's justice must be paid in full. And this creates a terrible problem of us trying to figure out, as the human race, how to pay back this debt. So tonight, first, we're going to look at the impulse to pay God back. Scholars of the most ancient societies that we know about tell us that most of those societies had systems of sacrifices and purifications of one sort or another. Religion is found in most of the great civilizations of the world and remote, small civilizations of the world as well. God has written His righteous standards upon the conscience of every human being. And He has also, furthermore, put His attributes on display in the created universe. And these two things together testify to all people everywhere that there is therefore a God who has laws. And to transgress those laws means that a debt has been incurred and we must pay it back. Since everyone knows the law in this way, with with it being written upon the conscience, we also know that we've broken the law. And so the impulse to get right with God and to pay him back follows the human race wherever it goes. Scripture tells us about the gods of the nations surrounding Israel, so often requiring blood sacrifices, purification rituals, and so forth. We also find these interesting examples, kind of gray area examples of someone like Job himself, whom we read about earlier. Job was not an Israelite. He was a man of the East. He lived outside of what we would consider to be the promised land. And yet somehow he had come to know the God of Abraham. The Lord in his grace had revealed himself to him. And uh, even though Job would not have been a part of the, the sacrifices of the, of the tabernacle and of the temple, nevertheless, Job felt the impulse to offer burnt offerings on behalf of his children. Isn't that interesting? He would see his ten kids having feasts and festivals on their own appointed days. It's an interesting phrase. And when the feast came to an end, Job would try to cover over any sins that they may have committed. Job says, maybe they've cursed God in their hearts. And so he offers burnt offerings in order to atone for the sins of his children. All these kinds of things. We could go on and on with different examples. These kinds of things reveal a problem at the core of this impulse. The impulse to pay God back. There's a problem at the core of it. The Catechism summarizes this problem for us. It says that the debt must be paid, but we can't pay it. And that no creature can pay for someone else. No creature can pay for someone else. 
Neither can any creature, man or otherwise, face the hugeness of the payment itself. It's too large a debt. And the punishment is of an eternal nature. Again, that's what we were looking at last week. Eternal punishment. Psalm 49 that we sang earlier has the classic verses to teach us this. It says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. And he sh- that he should live on forever and never see the pit. It's too costly, the psalmist says. Death is coming and no one person can pay off that punishment for anyone else. It's too costly. So there is in the human race an impulse to pay back the debts and yet we cannot do it. And neither can any other creature. Secondly, though, we learn from Holy Scripture that God himself put temporary solutions in place with regard to the paying of God's of our debts toward God. And from here to the end of the message, we're going to be focusing particularly on Hebrews 10. If you want to look along there with me, Hebrews 10, our reading of the epistle earlier, verses 1 through 10. When God made a covenant with Moses and the nation of Israel, He wrote right into the contract a whole sacrificial system. He wrote right into it a whole system of priests and purifications and ceremonies. Now, the book of Hebrews, here in the New Testament, has a lot to say about that sacrificial system. And as you're looking there at Hebrews chapter 10, if you're there with me, verse 9 labels that sacrificial system with this category. The first. The first. The first in terms of an attempt to pay the debt back to God through sacrifices. Okay, so if you're thinking about a couple of columns that we're going to be dealing with tonight, there's the first, and then you'll see there, the verse also speaks about the second. Now, we are at this point... Focusing on the, quali- the, uh, the different characteristics of that first sacrificial system. Okay? The, the system that is part of the law of Moses. Look with me here at the different ways that these verses, Hebrews 10, 1 through 10, talk about this first solution to the problem of our debts. Verse 1 refers to it as the law. That is to say, the ceremonial laws tied to the law of Moses. That's the law that is being spoken of there. Verse 1 again says that this law had but a shadow of the good things that were to come. Okay, then then that tells us that indeed it was temporary. Those sacrifices by design were temporary. And I think we miss that sometimes. Built into the covenant with Moses was something that was doomed to eventually fade away. By design, it was merely a shadow of good things that were to come, Hebrews says. So it was temporary. Something better was to come. Verse 1 continues on to say that these sacrifices of the law 
were continually offered every year. But that even though they were continually offered, they could not make perfect those who drew near to offer the sacrifices. If those animal sacrifices actually paid the debts of the worshipers, then by default, they shouldn't have continued on. Let me just say that again. The fact that the sacrifices of that covenant continued day after day, Sabbath after Sabbath, year after year, means that they were not actually paying the debts of the people of God. And so they continued on. Their shadow. Their shadow. Something more substantive had to come. In fact, verses 5 and 6 go on to say that God didn't even actually desire those sacrifices. Now, let's be careful here and not make it sound as though God told lies or contradicted himself. He's talking about in terms of substance, in terms of accomplishing the payment of debt. God did not desire those sacrifices. He did not desire those offerings as the true solution to the problem. So the question then is, why then did he put them in place at all? He commanded the people to do them. Why did he do that? Verse 3 tells us, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of the ancient Israelites. So we are lifting ourselves out of the 21st century and we're putting ourselves into an ancient culture totally foreign to us. It was bloody and filled with slaughtered animals and all the blood, sweat and tears involved. This this was a different kind of worship experience than, than what we are used to. So we have to use our imaginations, put ourselves into the shoes of these ancient Israelites And you have come to the temple with your goat to offer the burnt offering. You have, as God commanded, drawn near. And you have given this goat to the priest to slaughter it and to offer it up in smoke on the altar and to scatter its blood. To spill its blood instead of your blood, you see. And what was the Israelite supposed to be thinking about when all this took place? Two things. Two things. He should have thought, I have debts to pay to God that I can't pay. I'm not really paying it. This goat is somehow paying it. I'm not the one doing it. I have debts to God that I can't pay. Secondly, he should have been thinking, there must be better things to come. And indeed, brothers and sisters, if you think that it is a stretch for an Israelite to have thought that way, the New Testament confirms for us that those who had true faith certainly thought that way. They came with an understanding, not a fully matured understanding, as though they they had the, the New Testament downloaded into the tablet of their mind. It's not that kind of thing going on. But they came with faith in something that was to come. Better things to come than this animal and its blood. And indeed, that was the case. It was always the case 
always the plan of God that the sacrifices would powerfully and in a visceral way teach the worshipers of their need for a true payment of debt. The good things to come. But as it stood for the Israelites of that day, the blood of bulls and goats did not actually take away the sins of anyone. Because God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. And we, the human race, are the ones who have sinned against God. And so this solution was temporary. Temporary solution. It stirred up in the people of God a reminder of sins. And it previewed for them something better that was to come. Lastly, this evening then, we look at this true solution to paying God back. Verse 9 Again, the statement that sums it up for us. He, meaning God, does away with the first in order to establish the second. So all the things we've been talking about in that, in that uh, the second point that we've been spending a few minutes on, that's all called the first. And it says in verse 9, it's done away with. It's done away with in order to establish a second. The second is now... The true solution that we are focusing on. What does Hebrews 10, 1 through 10 have to say about this second way? Verse 1. The sacrifices were just shadows, but this new way is the true form. The author of the Hebrews is, uh, is twisting the philosophy of Plato. And all the shadows, the, the things that Plato would say about people in the cave. If you're from, I'm not going to go into all that. But if you're familiar with Plato's illustration about the people in the cave and the shadows on the wall, Hebrews is putting a uniquely Christian spin on that philosophy. And he says, the sacrifices were the shadows. But now the true form has come. And this, new, this uh, second thing that's being put in place is the true form. What else do these verses tell us? Verse 5, Christ came into the world not to offer more animal sacrifices, but the end of verse 5 a body prepared for him. Christ came into the world, and when he came, he said, not burnt offerings and sacrifices, but a body you have prepared for me, O God. Not the body of some other creature, but the body of the Son of God. God the Son who took on what he previously did not have, a true human nature, body and soul. In this little verse, this, by the way, is quoting Psalm 40. In this little verse, we have the whole Christmas story. Because the Son of God was born, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and he came now with a body in order that he may lay that body down. And offer it up as a sacrifice for sins. A true human body and a rational soul. And with this body and soul, the Lord Jesus Christ has offered him up, offered himself up on the true altar. Not a temporary burnt offering, but that eternal offering that has been taken up into the heavens. Into that true tabernacle that Hebrews 9 just one chapter ahead says was offered through the eternal spirit 
And what the Lord Jesus Christ underwent in that sacrifice on the cross was nothing less than the eternal punishment that we learned about last week. That's why we have to understand that doctrine. It is what Christ has suffered in the place of sinners as the once for all sacrifice to pay off our debts. The everlasting payment of an always increasing debt. And Christ paid it all. No longer to continue sacrifices according to the law, but once for all, because it perfectly sanctified those who draw near through this high priest and this sacrifice. Now then, brothers and sisters, what else can be offered to God? What can you possibly offer to God to now contribute to this debt payment? Nothing. You can't offer anything to contribute to this payment. It has been perfectly paid. It is a sufficient sacrifice in every possible way. And therefore, all your strivings to pay back this debt to God are in vain. They're worse than in vain. They dishonor the true sacrifice for sins found in Jesus Christ. The debt has been paid in full. All you may offer is the sacrifice of praise and of thanks. A life of gratitude. Striving to obedience, absolutely. But offered only to say thank you. What else can you offer? That is the question when we come to this topic of debt payment in our spiritual lives. The debt has been paid. Well, may it be then, brothers and sisters, that the magnitude of Christ's offering brings you daily to such a sacrifice of praise and a sacrifice of thanks. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we ask you now to assist us in meditating with joy on your mighty acts. Enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle in our hearts a love of your truth. Nourish in us the full counsel, the word of God. Enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And defend us from the sins of heresy and schism. And as we have now heard the true doctrine proclaimed to us, by your great blessing, may it be preserved among us and propagated through us by our lips and our lives to the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.